Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, I'm your host, and joining me for this special Thanksgiving episode, Mel, our co-host. Mel, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Davey. Happy Thanksgiving to you. You guys got any plans for today? We do. My grandfather texted us all a while back, and it's kind of uncharacteristic of him, but he essentially called the whole family to the table and was like, hey, I would like to do one big everybody. So like all of his kids and then all the grandkids and then all the great grandkids, an entire get together, which this is a big family. So he wants, we're doing an entire thing. uh, All of us one last time is what he said. He said one last time. I'm like, grandpa, like, hold on a second. (laughs) I know. I was like, hold on a second. Um, And so he, we're doing it at a church. We're actually doing a big Thanksgiving get together that's being hosted at his church, but it's going to be fun because it'll throw back to the old Thanksgiving memories that we have of getting together with all the cousins and playing, you know, a rousing game of football that, you know, uncles versus, versus cousins and all that kind of stuff. So it's just going to be so much fun. I'm really looking forward to it, but I was kind of curious as to what prompted in my grandpa this like urgency, you know? Yeah. Um, he yeah, loves the Lord and he, um, you know, like, I don't want him to, to die, but he's definitely ready spiritually for sure. So I just, I don't know. I don't know if he's feeling this kind of an urgency or something, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun, memorable time. I'm sure we'll laugh and shed some tears all at the same time. That's awesome. What about you? That's awesome. Uh, we are going to Charlie's parents today. Uh, we're going to, they are fabulous cooks. So I plan on just wearing my stretchy pants and enjoying the day. Um, You got to wear stretchy pants, huh? (laughs) Yes. This is a really funny story. So my birthday every few years is on Thanksgiving. So my birthday is November 24th. Oh, well, happy belated birthday. Yeah. Belated birthday. Um, And so, but when I was growing up, the circus always came to town, like on Thanksgiving weekend. And, uh, and then obviously you celebrate Thanksgiving. And so Uh, being the little narcissist that I was, I thought that all of it was for me. And so I would, because there would be a birthday cake with my name on it and everybody would bring bring me presents on Thanksgiving. And so I'd be like, wow, I get a much bigger to do than everybody else. And then I grew up and I was like, oh no, it's just a holiday and my birthday. (laughs) That's amazing. I bet there's probably some downsides to a holiday and a birthday at the same time. I mean, at least it's not Christmas where you're like, yes, literally your parents are going to be like, well, we're just going to give her one gift, birthday and Christmas, you know, lump it all together. All your siblings get gifts too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not special at all. Wow. Well, I want to, you know, mention the fact that obviously we're looking forward to some really great Thanksgiving traditions. I hope you are as well as, as a listener. I hope this is a great day for family, but anytime there's a holiday and when we talk about the topic of pain and suffering and, and trial and hardship, holidays can bring out, um, a lot more emotion in us for so many mm-hmm. different reasons. You know, this yeah. might be the very first holiday or, you know, that you're experiencing without a loved one, or this might bring up a lot of reminders of some brokenness in your family. Um, whatever it may be, holidays can also be difficult for people. There's so much joy and there's so much excitement around holidays, but I definitely want to make sure that we understand that some people in your life, if it's not, you know, if not you, this could be a hard day for them. 
as well. Um, I'll never forget Mel after Amanda passed away. You know, she was, it was uh, November 11th, 2015. And so soon after that was Thanksgiving. Mm. And so we, um, uh, we we had originally made plans to go do Thanksgiving with my parents and my brother and sister-in-law and just kind of do a, a quiet thing, you know, in the cabins and stuff uh, at a cabin in the mountains. But we, after everything happened, decided to kind of all come together, Amanda's family, my family, and do Thanksgiving all together. And uh, we celebrated with my side of the family Christmas on that Thanksgiving. And so already there was just this like real, I mean, just... Um, solemn atmosphere in Thanksgiving. It was, you could, mm. you could definitely tell the seat that was missing at the table. And we were all really still in a lot of shock. But as we're celebrating Christmas, there were a few presents that Amanda had already picked out for me and for Weston that we were mm. opening. And that was just tremendously difficult to realize, oh. wait, this, this right here is something that Amanda was you know, ready to gift us. Um, and, and here we are opening it up without her. Um, wow. So, so needless to say, for some people, this can be a tough time. And um, mm. I just think it'd be really, I, I think it'd be really awesome, Mel. You know what I'd love is I would love if you would pray for everybody before we like jump into this interview. Yeah, I would love that. Um, let me pray for you. Pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, God, so much in your word. You say um, that we should be um, thankful in all circumstances and um, and always abounding in thanksgiving. But Lord, we just confess that sometimes that that is just really hard to do. Um, sometimes our circumstances and our pain, um, it feels like too much to bear. And um, sometimes it can feel even more pronounced on a holiday, God, like Thanksgiving. And so today I just want to lift up our listeners, those who, um, uh, whether they're walking through pain or whether they're close to someone that is, uh, going through a hardship, Lord, would you please, um, as the God of all comfort, would you comfort them today? Mm. God, would you pour out um, extra grace form-fitted for today um, to help them persevere, Um, whether it's from family members who um, don't know how to approach them in their grief or um, people who say insensitive things or people who don't even acknowledge it at all. God, would you make it clear to their hearts that you are the God that sees all and knows all Mm. and that you love unconditionally, God. And um, I pray that you would be so near to them today, God, that they would feel your presence mightily. And um, I pray that they look to you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith. Um, And um, God, I just I pray that they would cling to you, Jesus, that they would look at the cross knowing that um, you paid for their past, their present, and their future sins. And um, not only have you um, provided salvation, but you've provided everything they need um, to make it through this life. And so um, just know that our listeners, um, from Davey and I's perspective, are so loved as well. And we are thinking of you guys. And um, we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Mel, thank you. Yeah. Well, whether you found yourself driving to a family event right now while you're listening to this, or if you're driving back because it's a few days after Thanksgiving, wherever you are, you're riding in the car, uh, we want to draw your attention to a a new platform that we've recently released for you to share your story. We love hearing your stories. We've had so many stories submitted, and this is another way that Mm -hmm. you can also read stories um, that maybe uh, are not on the podcast that, you know, these are great 
great stories for you to derive some encouragement and some hope and some healing from. That's at nothingiswasted.com slash stories. So make sure you visit there, submit your story to us. And while you're at it, um, we would love for you to rate and review the podcast. In fact, Mel, I think you have a review that you can read for us, right? Yeah. I love review yeah. reading. This is my favorite part. Um, we just got this recently. It says, this podcast is the first time I've ever heard this phrase, and it's pierced my heart and mind ever since. I am unbelievably grateful for this podcast. I can't wait for my Thursday run as I push my son in the stroller and listen to each new release. Up to this point in my life, I have not faced a major tragedy, but I know that I do not have control over tomorrow. I know that suffering can come when you least expect it. Mm. I know from listening to story after story on this podcast, the life can be flipped in an instant. But one thing that has remained true has filled me with hope rather than fear. And that keeps me listening is that Jesus is above it all. Mm. He is in control. He provides light in the darkest of valleys. His rod and staff, they comfort. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is our strength and our portion. There is not a place we can go he has not already been. There is no tragedy too great that he can't redeem. This podcast, these people's real stories prove this time and time again. My heart is so uplifted, inspired, and encouraged. My eyes continue to be fixed on Jesus as I prepare for whatever lies ahead, moment by moment, day by day. Keep up the amazing work for God's kingdom. Nothing is wasted. Thank you. Wow. That's awesome. It's it's really fun to like even visualize that, you know, whoever this is that like she's pushing, you know, a stroller while listening to this. Like, I mean, as I'm talking to the microphone, I'm like visually, oh, cool. We're talking to you right now as you're pushing a stroller on your run. That's so I cool. I think that's amazing. That's the power of technology and being able to just talk into a microphone about Jesus and people mm-hmm. all over listening. So thank you for feeding that back to us. Thank you for um, sharing how this is impacting you. We'd also love to connect with you on Instagram, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Interact with us over there. And Mel, this interview with Justine Frolker is incredible. It's I can't so wait for the good. listener to hear it. Can't wait for you guys as you're pushing a stroller or whatever you're doing right now. I can't wait for you to hear from Justine. She's an author, speaker, and certified Daring Way and Dare to Lead Facilitator, which, as you know, Mel, is the research based, uh, or based, it's based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown, which you happen to be a huge yep. fan of, right? I do. So um, Justine has an awesome story. I'm not going to tell you any of her story because she's going to lay it out for you in this interview. But um, just know she, uh, she drove over while we were at a camp in St. Louis to join us in a really kind of nasty dorm room facility wherever we were staying there to uh have this interview with us and it's a special one so listen into my conversation with justine frocker Justine, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for Thank driving you. all the way over. I know. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. An hour and 20 minutes. Is that about what it was? Yeah. Okay. And it was beautiful. I mean, I'm from Iowa, the cornfield. So like <laughs> I just drove through rural Illinois. I liked it. <laughs> That's so fun. Well, we're sitting here at a campground in Carlinville, Illinois, because I'm speaking here this weekend and Justine is from St. Louis. And so we're like, hey, why don't you come over and... We're actually sitting, this is so amusing to me, we're sitting in <laughs> our hotel room where the Christy and I and the two kids are sleeping and mm-hmm. your armrest is a bed. So yeah. 
This is how you podcast. Uh, yeah. This I is mean, great. When I do it at home, I'm usually in bed with three dogs to keep oh, them quiet. This so is it's totally like at home for you. Like, this yeah, is fantastic. It totally works. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Justine, I want you to start out. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of about your family, what you do right now. And then mm-hmm. your story is just a, it's a fantastic one. So I really want our listeners to hear all mm-hmm. of the ins and outs of that. So, but start out right now, present day. What is, what does your life look like? Oh, present day. So I am a, a licensed professional counselor by trade. Okay. So I have been in traditional mental health for 20 years. Mm. And um, I literally just this week, it's been a, it's a year that I've retired of seeing private, private oh, uh, clients. Oh, really? Okay. So, wow. Um, because a year ago, I took the chance to do more teaching and writing and ministry. Cool. Um, just felt called to share what I'm trained in and my own resilient story on a bigger stage yeah. rather than just one-on-one and with clients. And so um, I am trained with Dr. Brene Brown, which is for a lot of, I mean, it is my claim to fame because awesome. everyone loves Brene Brown. I know. Um, but I've been trained with her for six years. So I, cool. um, or certified by her. So right. I do a lot of training and teaching in corporate setting, ministry setting now. Um, and I do workshops and videos and stuff like that. So I'm using my own story of, yeah, rewriting really, Mm. um, to really just teach how to live a wholehearted life. Mm. And, um, so I live in St. Louis with my husband, Chad, and we have three little dogs. We're little dog people. (laughs) I always tell people that, um, and we raise butterflies and which is the weirdest and coolest hobby ever. That's so cool. It's very Are the butterflies like in your house, like flying around or are they really? In my kitchen. So you just like stick your finger up and a butterfly lands on your finger? Yeah. That's oh, yeah. amazing. I told you you guys have to come to St. Louis. Like, I the butterflies know. alone are worth it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a hobby that we developed um, four years ago, five years ago now, um, after our infertility journey, because it was really one of the things that helped dig us uh, out of the dark. Wow. And so I just do a lot of work on speaking the unspoken, Yep. teaching people how to love themselves well so that they okay. can love others well. Cool. And um, I'm just doing a lot of writing and teaching at this point. Wow. Well, all of this work has come out of your own personal journey. Yeah. And so take us back and tell us a little bit about your story. So it's kind of a, not kind of, it is a crazy story. Yeah. So I I grew up in a very small town in Iowa, no stoplight. Yeah. Kindergarten through 12th grade, one building, ate lunch with my kindergarten cousins, you know, just a really small town. It's all I ever knew. And I was a dancer. So I grew up dancing. I was going to go to the University of Iowa to dance. That's what I wanted to do. And around age 11 is when I started having debilitating pain. Mm. And we started going through the journey of trying to get a diagnosis. And I um, was never told to stop dancing. So I danced because that was my ticket out too. Right. Like, right? right? That was my ticket out of the small town. And yeah. so I just danced through the pain. And um, we had a couple misdiagnoses for between the ages of 11 and 13. And so my first one was um, conversion hysteria, which is what they called it back then, which they made me go see a sports psychologist. I was making up the pain psychosomatically. Oh, okay. So that's how I became a therapist, really. Um, It's really how I discovered what you do is pretty cool. Hmm. You know, like I, she taught me how to visualize the pain outside of my body so I could still dance. But they, it was a misdiagnosis. That was after they put me through some fairly terrible tests And then the next diagnosis was um, a tumor, which was quickly um, debunked. Hmm. And then I was misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia, which in 1994 at 13 years old was a kind of dumb diagnosis. Like it was, we didn't know what we know now about autoimmune, right? So it was actually a 
doctor who was passing through the Quad Cities, where I'm mm -hmm. from, and she took all of my charts, four hours, took her four hours to go through everything, and she walked out with an x-ray in her hand, and I'll never forget it. My parents, we had been sitting there for hours, and she said, have you ever heard of spondylosis or spondylolisthesis? Mm. And we said, no, never. And she goes, well, they're all over your charts. She goes, you have two cracks on L5. You have a broken back with grade four slippage. You need surgery immediately. Oh my gosh. And a year later, I had my first back surgery. Wow. So my first back surgery was the summer before my freshman year of high school. I was in a body cast for six months. So we're talking like wow. chin to knees. Yeah. Couldn't stand, couldn't, or I could stand or lay down, but it was a 30 pound body cast, like wow. plaster body cast. And so um, recovery was brutal. And I tried my senior year to go back out for track. Mm -hmm. I just knew something wasn't right. And then that's when they did the MRI and discovered I was a 10% that surgery did not take. Mm. So they repeated the surgery my senior year of high school. Oh my gosh. And I was in a body cast for six more months. Wow. So basically your entire high school yeah. mm -hmm. season, all four years, all. you're in and out of these surgeries, mm -hmm. in and out of these casts, trying to recover. Right. Right. <sighs> it's crazy. And I, you know, being in a small town, that was one of, that was one of God's saving graces. Like one mm. of... Hindsight's twenty twenty. For those of us who I didn't grow up in a home with Jesus, I grew up in a home with what I call the secular God. Like right. everything's going to be fine. We know, sure, God loves you, but we don't know who Jesus is. I didn't know mm. who Christ was then. But when you look back on your story, you can see those nuggets, yeah. right? Like, right. and that was one. Like the therapist, the misdiagnosis of mm -hmm. conversion hysteria. That has been a trajectory for my whole life. You mm. know, growing up in that small town. I mean, my English teacher videotaped her classes. My, I think it was my social studies teacher came and taught me on his lunch break. Oh, wow. I didn't fall behind the, you know, the Durant lines built a ramp so I could get out of the house. Wow. The Legion donated the hospital bed, like the town rallied. Yeah. And so it was one of those big saving graces. And, right. But I, you know, I had told you before we started recording, one of the biggest questions I often get is how did you survive what you survived without ever knowing Christ. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it was because of those back surgeries that my husband and I really were then kind of forced into an infertility journey. Mm. Um, I grew up really my whole life because denial is safer than disappointment. Mm. Yep. Wow. Telling myself that I didn't want to be a mom because I knew it wasn't possible. Mm. Like I just, I knew that what we had gone through, especially the misdiagnosis would probably prevent mm. any motherhood. And so we got married we're coming up on 14 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, really not thinking we would have kids. And then, I don't know, it's God, but biology too. <laughs> like it's kind of <laughs> like, okay, I think we want to do this. And so we researched, um, we started researching surrogacy. And okay. so seven years ago, we started a surrogacy journey. And wow. um, I posted an ad on a website and found a woman in Indianapolis, Zionsville. Huh. Actually, her name's Michelle. Wow. And um, we did couple rounds of IVF, we lost three babies and mm. um, we live what I call a child full life. Mm. So what you call it a child full life. Yeah. I, I like to me. make up words. I know, but I, <laughs> I like that. I like, yeah. well, you, I mean, the, what I caught earlier, you said you work with people about rewriting. Yep. And so mm -hmm. I'm just intuiting right now that yeah. this is a re rewritten is. type terminology that you're mm -hmm. coming up with. Mm -hmm. It will totally you, will is. We unpack Unpack the rewriting concept for me, yeah. but also unpack why you call your call it a childful life. 
we'll all have traumas, losses, and tragedies. Like, I mean, he told us that. Right. We'll have trouble in this world. And for years working with clients and mental, traditional mental health, it was so much talk about feelings and overcoming trauma and things mm. like that. There is also this other piece of how do we make these things work for us and not against us? Wow. How do we rewrite the ending? How do we become the co-author yep. with our loving father? Yeah. Really, that's what it is. Because unfortunately, I do think a majority of people will choose to be bitter yep. and angry and broken, really broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I refuse to believe that I had been through everything that I had been through to just be a shell of who I once was. Mm without the ability to ever go back to who I was, even though I didn't even want to go back to her. Yep. Because I didn't like her that much, mm. really. And I, But I didn't get this back until I went through everything that we went through. Wow. Wow. But I had to be an active participant in rewriting the story, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I think that's the key. There's mm-hmm. a partnership that has to take place right yeah. there. We talk often about God's redemptive story within your story, a redemptive process within your story. But really, we kind of hold the keys to that. We can allow him to do that. Yeah. Or we can push that away yeah. by not or being resistant toward it because we want to hang on to bitterness or denial, like what you said. Because right. if we begin to hope, all of a sudden hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hoping right. could lead to disappointment. But without hope, there also is not the ability right. for our stories to be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the, the, like goosebumps, you know, the, it, yes. like write your own ending. Yes. You remember those back yes. in the day? Totally. Oh that's, my gosh, yes, I that's remember really, those. <laughs> talk to me a little bit about your, because I imagine being in high school mm-hmm. for those four years and being in and Now, of course, your town rallying around you, yep. that probably helped a lot, but there's probably some some emotional and mental um, debilitation that happened for you right there because this is, you know, I mean, the normal teenager gets to experience high school in a fairly normal way. There's all kinds of different situations that come into high schoolers' lives that can cause some reroutes and detours mm-hmm. and stuff. But this is a big one, yeah. lasting your entire high school journey. Mm-hmm. How'd that affect you emotionally and mentally? I, it's, it's weird. I think the biggest part, and I don't have this knowledge until now, it was the start of the biggest thread of what, is the biggest gift of my life. God Mm. has gifted me this story to be able to teach people how to truly practice empathy Mm. and to sit beside one another with our pain and not try to fix it Mm. or placate it or have simple answers or feel sorry and pity. Wow. Because... I mean, I was a 14-year-old and then a 17-year-old stuck in a body cast. How can anybody identify with her? Right. I mean, that's a really hard place to identify. I, I literally had friends disappear and tell me it was too hard for me and they disappeared. Wow. No one knew how to sit beside me. And it really, all I needed them to do was make me laugh like, yeah. and just, or just be there and watch Days of Our Lives or pick up the remote when I dropped <laughs> it. Like that was it. Uh. Um, but it was that first like glimpse of to, into the work that I'm doing now because then, okay, then what happens? I'm a 39, almost 40-year-old woman who cannot have kids. What's the first Mm. question I am asked everywhere I go? Yeah. How many kids do you have? How many kids do you have? Right. It's the first question. Mm. And because I'm an advocate and because I speak the unspoken, I will always answer. We tried really hard. We live a childful life and work on creating and fighting for Mm. and receiving 
opportunities to parent because it is a value of who we are. Like that is still one of our values, even though our journey ended without kids. And even though we know we're not being called to adoption, which is a difficult conversation, Mm -hmm. especially in the faith community. A lot of people think adoption's a fix Mm. for infertility and it's not. Mm. Explain that a little bit. It's a calling. Wow. You know, and I, I used to be really scared, especially when I started doing more work in ministry to really be able to, because first question, how many kids do you have? Second question, why don't you just adopt? Mm. Like it's this very simple it's like thing. It's the, yeah, it's like the and next it's not, step. That right, and it's the next step. Presumable, yeah. And so there was, I had to do a lot of wrestling and rumbling and rewriting with, did I want to be a mom bad enough if I'm not mm. adopting? Do they still count? the three Mm. that I lost, if I have rewritten this story and created this incredible life where I have an opportunity to parent in so many other ways. Um, So it's really like, it's speaking the unspoken. And so usually when, I mean, when you, when I say we can't have kids, I do, I get two responses. Why don't you just adopt Mm -hmm. or try another round of IVF? Mm. Or I get, oh, you poor thing. I just can't imagine. Mm. And those responses, they are not malicious at all. Mm. They're out of curiosity. They're out of people being uncomfortable with their vulnerability. They don't know how to lean in and get curious yeah. about vulnerability, wow. right? And so they just want to fix it. They want right. to take away the pain. They want to change the subject. They want to offer a quick solution, a simple fix. Yeah. And so they're not malicious. And yet they make me... I choose my own emotions though. That's yeah. where the therapist always comes in. <laughs> they don't make you. <laughs> they but don't make me. But like your that response. Le- my response is I feel even more alone and I am already alone mm. as a 39-year-old woman who can't have kids. I'm almost always the only one everywhere I go. Mm. And when you look at me and say you can't imagine, mm. I'm even more alone because it's sympathy and sympathy is disconnection yeah. and healing will never ever take place in disconnection. Healing only takes place in connection and that requires empathy. Wow. That requires you to come sit beside me and say, this is brutal. Mm. And I'm really glad you told me. And I don't know what to say. Mm. That's it. You you mentioned about this idea of being curious, which is kind of the antidote, I guess, of, you know, uh, of the, what seems like it's a good response, sympathetic response, but it actually might do more damage to the person that you're responding to. So what, so how do you, how do you advise people to be curious in those moments? Because I find the same thing. I find Mm -hmm. that people really struggle interacting with someone who has a story of pain, even though we all have some semblance Mm -hmm. of a story of pain, we do tend to start comparing our pains. And so we're like, wait, I haven't gone through what you've gone through. I mean, Justine, every time I kind of share my story, especially in circles where they're maybe they haven't heard our story or anything like that. And I'm always very aware of how much, how heavy it's going to land on people. Mm-hmm. And then I'm kind of grimacing or like, you know, <laughs> kind of yes. hold, waiting to, exactly what you're talking to about. F- like, okay, how are they going to respond to this? Like really I'm okay, but it's all of a sudden I've like invited them into almost the, you know, moments after it happened. So they're like, whoa. It's, yeah. And so they don't know how to respond either. Right. Many of our listeners don't, how to, don't know how to respond. Yeah. They want to know how to respond. How is curiosity the mm-hmm. antidote? How do you mm-hmm. respond in curiosity? There's That is one of the big pieces of this work that I do with Dare to Lead and uh, Daring Greatly Rising Strong with all the Brene stuff. But like, so one of the lessons that we teach is, so have you ever felt sad? Have you ever felt grief, angry, bitter, mm-hmm. happy? Then you are equipped for empathy. Wow. 
because you know what it's like to be human. I don't need you to have lost three babies and not be able to have children walking alongside you mm. on this earth to, for you to understand what it must feel like yeah. to be a woman who wanted kids who can't have them. You're human. You've been mm. through grief. We all, and I, grief is one of my, every, we're all in grief. I mean, right. whose life has turned out the way they hoped, dreamed, and planned? Right. I mean, that's grief. Right. Let's call it what it is so that exactly we can actually right. rumble through it and then rewrite our ending, right? Mm. And become the co-author that we want to be. But I think it's that piece of like, I just need you to lean into the curiosity mm. of your emotion and not the experience. Oh, wow. That's empathy. Yeah, that's good. You know, Justine, there there is an element at which we have to sit with people in empathy, you know, but at the same time, the person who has um, kind of walked the tragic story, mm. they have to um, kind of begin to take some agency in that 100%. and not become a victim in that. Because sometimes mm. if you're just looking for people to empathize with you all the time for a long time, mm. it can cause you to sit and kind of wallow in that. Yeah. And people enjoy you know, the, yeah. the adage, misery loves company. Mm-hmm. People enjoy being the one that everybody is sympathizing toward or empathizing yeah. toward. So how do you make that switch then? Because it, it's like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. You, it's like you have to really begin to embrace these emotions and embrace this grief. But in order to rewrite your story, there has to be some kind of a flip. Right. What does that, what does that look like? How do you do that? A, a lot of it is shame. Let's call it what it is. Mm. Most of us don't really understand shame. This is not your grandmother's, you should be so ashamed of yourself. This is the deeply painful feeling of being unworthy of love and belonging. Mm. And when I, when I, especially when I work in the infertility community, I am this like, or even just, you know, pregnancy after loss. So many women don't tell anybody because they're yeah. so scared. Right. And I really am a huge advocate of, no, let's tell everybody about this baby Mm. because they're so loved and there's more prayers and like, because, and if God forbid something happens and you have a whole community to rally because they loved that child as much as you have, like, because they know, but like, we have to speak the unspoken. Mm. I cannot expect you to read my mind if I am still struggling. Yeah. I have to speak my story. I have to lean into my own curiosity of vulnerability, ask for what I want and need, risk people saying stupid stuff, mm. which they're going to say because right. they're flawed. We're flawed we human beings. Yeah. But if I never ask for what I want and need or tell my story, I'm never going to get the compassion and then therefore the connection to heal. Mm. Because healing doesn't take place in disconnection. That's that, good. It doesn't. It will not happen by yourself. And so to do that work of in community, especially, right. but also to take my own responsibility to rise from the ashes, to identify my emotions, cope with them in a healthy way, mm. allow them to move through, because then I actually can become the co-author that he wants us to be. Yeah. Hey friends, Giving Tuesday is just around the corner. And rather than just asking you to give to us, we want to give something to you. Because of a generous donation from one of our listeners, we're able to give five individuals five coaching sessions each. This means you have the opportunity to gain lifetime access to the Pain to Purpose course in addition to five individual coaching sessions where I will walk you through our Pain to Purpose process tailored specifically to your current circumstance. If you're interested in applying for this free coaching, visit nothingiswasted.com slash donate. 
We're able to do this type of ministry and more only because of the generosity of our listeners, which is why we're asking you on Giving Tuesday, December 3rd, to agree to partner with us by giving a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation. At nothingiswasted.com slash donate, you'll be able to see a breakdown of where we hope to grow as a ministry in 2020. We don't make it a habit to straight up ask for donations, but I'll be completely honest with you. Between spreading awareness of this ministry when I speak at churches around the country, writing, coaching, and directing this ministry, I've hit my personal max bandwidth. This is a great problem because we're reaching way more people than we currently are able to, but we're also not able to address all the needs we desire to. This is why we need to bring on some key staff roles that will enable us to help more people as they face trials, tragedies, and transitions. So for us to reach our goal for 2020, it would take uh, about 750 of you guys to give $20 a month or more, or only 300 of you guys to give $50 a month or more. In fact, if a third of you listening to this episode right now only gave $10 a month, we would far exceed our goal. I don't know, maybe for you, it just works better to give a one-time donation of uh, $250. As a side bonus, if you set up a recurring donation of $20 or more per month, or give $240 or more as a one-time donation, you'll gain a year of access to all of our bonus content. So if you feel led to partner with us this Giving Tuesday and on into 2020, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash donate. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash donate. You just said something so insightful that I've been wrestling with a lot. Yeah. This idea that that healing doesn't happen isol- in yeah. isolation. Healing happens in connection. It happens in community. Can can you unpack that for me? Because mm-hmm. many times we we want to kind of isolate ourselves when we are you know when we're broken or when we're grieving. Um, and and on some level, there's you know some isolation that needs to happen yes. to wrestle things down with the Lord and really. But, but you're right, true healing doesn't happen until you've connected with other people and allowed, mm-hmm. um, allowed their, uh, what, how they're experiencing your grief to begin to kind of bring you into mm-hmm. a new space. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you tell me how mm-hmm. that works? Why yeah. is that? I think one of the biggest lies the enemy uses against us is the lie that we're alone and no one understands. Wow. Yep. And it's, it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Common humanity People have gone through loss, struggle, pain. It may not look exactly the same. And the emotions that underpin it, again, are very much the same. And Mm. so that lie, to call out that lie, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely a lie. We are not in this by ourselves. And oftentimes, if we choose to believe that, that is 100%. It's a choice. Mm. And it's a choice that we choose to stay sick. It's an an isolating choice. Yeah, it's a victimization choice. But then also how much of that is... You know, the pain Olympics that we all live in, that comparison yeah. piece. My loss is harder than your loss. Yeah. Hard's just hard. It I, is. One of my most powerful stories, and I always tell this at speaking engagements, I had a client that found me th- through my first book, Ever Upward. So that's my infertility story. Right. So she knew I had lost, I, I had a story of loss. And she had lost her 17 year old daughter in a police pursuit chase in a car accident. Oh her daughter was an innocent victim. 
And I'll never, ever forget. She looked at me in session one night and she goes, is it better that I got 17 years with my daughter or better that you never got to meet yours? Wow. And I took a breath and I said, what if we just looked at each other like mothers who lost their children? Wow. Because then we're not alone in it. That's so good. Let's stop comparing yep. losses. Hard's just hard. Yeah. That comparison, it's another way that he flips that light. You're in this by yourself. Yep. No one understands this. Keep quiet. You got to heal yourself. No mm. one can help you. It's such a lie. And it's going to keep so many of us down that there's no healing happening for right. ourselves or who we could serve with our story. Right. That's so good. Have you ever read um, The Third Option by Sheryl Sandberg? Okay, she was I have like, not read that one yet. She was like the COO of Facebook yes. or something. And, and, lost and her, her husband, husband passed away, yes. And she's Jewish. Mm-hmm. And she talks a lot about this idea of a couple major things that you're hitting on. One, just the idea that we have to enter into those spaces of lament and grieving yes. and how the Jewish culture was really They're good so about good this. so good about it. Yeah. Yes, they are. Like God set that up for the Israelites mm-hmm. said, hey, you, you're going to have a certain number of days that you're not going to work yeah. based on the type of or category mm-hmm. of loss that you've right. had. So if you've lost a spouse, it's X number of days. Mm-hmm. If you've lost a friend, it's X number of days. If you've lost a child, it's X number of days. Um, I imagine even, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it speaks expl- explicitly about miscarriage, mm-hmm. you know, or something, but I imagine the same kind of thing right. you've lost, you know, here is, here's an X number of days. And because of that, then they were able to get back into purpose because they really spent the time grieving. Mm-hmm. But another thing is that the Jewish culture is a lot more, especially with the concepts of kibbutz and stuff, right. a lot more communal. Right. And they so do they're it doing it together. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, weeping with torn mm-hmm. clothes and ashes yeah. together. Oh, so beautiful. And it's not this comparison of pain. It's not this, mm-hmm. you're sorry, that's a very detrimental thing because if you, if you step back away from it and you look at those two situations mm-hmm. analytically, right. miscarriage versus losing a 17-year-old yep. daughter, I could put a graph up and say, well, here's the hard parts about this one and the hard parts mm-hmm. about this one. And here's the benefits of this one as opposed to this one. Here's the benefits of this one. Sure. You can't compare it. No. But no. what you're saying right there, let's just enter into this space together. Exactly. And Let's loss connect. is loss, right? And you, God will use you to heal me mm-hmm. because perhaps he's given you some insight that he hasn't enlightened yeah. to me because of my situation. I'm blinded by my grief right. and vice versa. Yep. Amen to that. Wow. Can you talk a little bit more about infertility? You know, we have an audience where yeah. it's so many women who are listening to this podcast. So many, I'm sure, are dealing with mm-hmm. anywhere on the spectrum of infertility. Um, miscarriage, you know, um, it's also a fear that rises up in so many women. Um, but a lot of it is, can be based around this, um, uh, based around identity. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what has been your journey when it comes to that? Cause you yeah. had a couple of not just infertility, but this whole high school yeah. where your identity, mm-hmm. who, who Justine is, right. was kind of being shaped mm-hmm. and formed. How mm-hmm. did you wrestle with that mm-hmm. in terms of what you've walked yeah. through? Well, and I think, so I always throw out the stats because I don't think a lot of people understand the stats. So one in eight couples struggles to conceive. Mm. Really, it's probably more like one in six. Um, One in four pregnancies ends in a loss. Mm. So that's definitely someone that you know. And a lot of those couples will then go into the one in eight, unfortunately. Yeah. And then one in 160 pregnancies ends with a child born still. And we are the only developed country Mm. that has not improved that statistic in 25 years. So, and then again, a lot of those couples then enter in 
to the infertility journey. Right. And so this absolutely 100% affects somebody that you know. Mm-hmm. It, it does. Yeah. Just because they're not talking about it doesn't mean that they're not struggling about it. But how many times have we said or seen, I am having a miscarriage, I had a miscarriage and it's me too, me too, me too, me too. Yeah, right. And all of a sudden now we're finally not alone in it. And so this affects somebody that you know. I think one of the biggest reasons that um, it can be so difficult is and it's changing. I do think it's changing, but who am I as a woman if I if I'm not a mom? Yeah. What is my yeah. identity? What am mm-hmm. I contributing to society? What's my legacy? Right. Um, all of those big questions that we really had to wrestle with. Now, my husband too, like Chad too had to wrestle with them as a woman, very much so. Like yeah. in my in my latest book, The Complicated Gray, I tell a story about when I was with my, all of my college friends and there was two pregnant bellies at the table, everybody had kids, and I didn't get mm-hmm. asked one question about my life. Not one. Oh wow. And and I came and I was just I was so upset when I came home and I go, You will not you don't have to deal with this. I will have to deal with this for the rest of my life. Mm. And he goes, You're right. Guys talk about work, yep. cars, and sports. Maybe they're kid athletes. Right. But not as much as women talk about their kids. And then of course, then like the therapist part of me gets really triggered. I'm like, but you're so much more than a mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about who you are. Like when in my, I used but to But that do, is the conversation that's is around conversation. that table, especially in those seasons of life where mm-hmm. you're, you know, childbearing, you're having right. kids, you're raising kids. And it's the hardest and it is, it's the hardest and such an important job. And as a therapist who's been in practice for as long as I have, one of the biggest questions I, I ask women, especially in any of the challenges that I do online and things like that, I ask them, introduce yourself and tell us who you are without describing yourself as a role that you play to someone else. Wow. That's so good. Who do you love? Yep. What do you love? Yeah. What do you like to do for fun? What are your hobbies? Like, who are you? I know you're a mom and a wife and a daughter, and those are so important. And what is the other parts wow. of your identity? And so and part of that was part of me rewriting my own. Do I still matter? Do I count? Hmm. Because I can't be a mom. And so that is definitely one of those lies that I, I get bombarded. If I'm not doing well, not doing my work, I will quickly go down that shame spiral of I don't matter. I'm invisible. No one cares. It's yeah. super, super quick. And so that's where I have a God who sees me always. And I'm I'm an Enneagram type four. I totally mistyped <laughs> myself as a three. I'm a four You're with a th- strong with a three, three wing. wing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So like that, that's huge. Does anybody see me? Wow. Am I special? Yeah, exactly. And it is totally tied to my trauma story. Mm. I was the invisible girl stuck in the darkness of a body cast for a year of my life. Wow. And now I'm a woman who can't have kids. Wow. So to really always turn to him and mm. know, no, I always have a father who sees me. Mm. Always. I don't need you to see me. I don't need all the likes and the follows. I mean, they'd be great because I want more people doing this work. <laughs> I have a God that sees me. Wow. That's so good. This is the being aspect of us. Yes. We're human beings. beings. We're not human right. human doings. And yet the second question that people often ask you after they ask you your name mm-hmm. is, what do you what do? What do you do? You know, mm-hmm. and then what's your family like, right? Then it goes into that conversation that you're talking about. And uh, someone told me this, uh, I think we heard this at uh, the counseling that we went to and way back in February is incredible about this idea that the Israelites were set free from being slaves. They were slaves for 400 years in in Mm -hmm. Egypt. They're set free from being slaves. And then God, you know, had them wandering around the wilderness for 40 years after that. Um, Partially because they couldn't step into the, you know, the promised land didn't have the courage or the faith to step into that. They saw the giants instead of the grapes. The, they saw mm-hmm. the obstacles instead of the opportunities. Right, right. That's a whole other message for a whole other time. Yeah. But <laughs> what happened is, is God was using those 40 years 
to try to switch them from doing to being. Because what are slaves known for? They were working. They were doing. Doing, producing. And God wanted to bring them into a space where they just learned how to be. I love that. How to trust God. I've never heard it taught that way. And this is is our journey in identity, I feel Mm -hmm. like. It's this journey of going... Because our culture tells us you are what you produce. Mm -hmm. You are what you achieve. You are what you... And and it's like, no, no, I am who he says I am. Right. And And I'm favored and anointed and so loved. And yet... You found yourself, I want to lean in this like around the table with these, Mm -hmm. you know, pregnant women and Mm -hmm. women with kids running around because this is the space that so many moms, expectant mothers and trying to Mm -hmm. be a mother, mothers find themselves in. Right. And it can be an awkward space. Yeah. There is, I feel like a, an epidemic of community circles of moms wanting to be moms at the same time. Yeah. And inevitably what you find is one person will get pregnant and maybe the other ones are struggling. And so the timing's off or the other ones. Mm -hmm. And so it amplifies this, I can't produce or this wrestling with God because of that. Mm -hmm. How on both sides of the coin, if you're someone who is struggling, how do you lean into that space? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone who... You're around someone who has not been able to have kids, mm-hmm. but you're you're able for whatever reason, like you're able to. Right. How do you lean into that right, space? Right. Can you speak from yeah. both sides of that yeah. to create? Because it because it can be ostracizing, being disconnected. 100%. If we're trying to connect each other, mm-hmm. we're trying to create this healing space for all of us. Mm-hmm. How how do you each yeah. side lean into that? I'm really big on scripts. I think so. People like so many people. They just aren't saying anything because they don't know what to say. Mm. Or they fill it in with the stupid stuff, right? right? <laughs> right. Or the, like the quips or right. the, the platitudes, whatever it might mm. be. I just did a video of like everything happens for a reason. I had a friend reach out to me. And she goes, so I have a girlfriend struggling with infertility and I don't know. I, she goes, literally God was like, she, this is happening for a reason. This will grow her face. She goes, I can't say that because I've, I've learned from you. I can't say that. She goes, I need you to do a teach. What do you say? When yeah. you know, yes, everything does happen for a reason. God is in this. Right. It will grow your faith. And that's not helpful to mm. say when someone is in struggle. It's not, it's not helpful to say. And I said, that's when you pull a chair up and say, this is brutal. I I know it feels like God's not here. We know he is. And so let's like, I'm just going to sit with you. But I think there's two sides to that conversation. The first one being like, if I'm the one struggling, it is my job to ask for what I want and need. It's my job at that table. That was years ago at this point. I was not in that place. I was still really holding on to my grief. Hmm. In an unhealthy way, which is something that I've really been working on this last year, grief had become my idol, mm. 100%. But I needed to be able to say, like, just say what was happening in my life. Yeah. Start a new conversation or ask a question about them that's not about their kids yeah. to get them talking. That is my it job. It enters you into a space of vulnerability right there where Absolutely. you go, hey, guys, this is really hard for me to admit, but here's what I'm feeling right now yeah. in this space. I don't want to feel this. Right. It's just what I am right. feeling. But mm-hmm. I, what I, what I would love is is if you ask me these questions, I think yes. that would really cause us to really come closer together and draw exactly. closer. Wow. And to be able to ask, like oftentimes I learned this when we were going through the infertility journey, but I still use it now to give our loved ones the words to say, give mm. them the script to say. You know, I, when I came home from that dinner, I texted one of my best friends and she has three boys, super busy family. And I just said, 
thank you for, you always see me. Wow. Even if you just literally ask me for therapeutic advice, you know that that's what's going to make me feel seen. Yeah. And thank you for that. To be able to say like, or I need you to actually ask me how my practice is once in a while. Wow. Like I love learning about the boys. I love talking with, with you about them. I like all of that. I, I just need a quick, what's going on with yeah. like the teaching? What's, what, what speaking engagement do you have next? So giving the lo- your loved ones the script. On the flip side, if you feel like someone is slinking away mm. and disappearing and we're all in the, those childbearing years especially, it is just maybe sending that simple message of, hey, I, I don't know what's going on. If you want to say something or I just want you to know that I'm here. Mm. Don't, you don't necessarily need to say it because it might not be anything. Right. You don't want to assume. Um, but that's the hardest part when you know the <laughs> stats. If someone's over the age of 35 and yeah. they're, they're trying and it's not happening, you know, something's up. You yeah. know, like even today, one of my, um, my Plexus friends posted, she goes, I haven't shared this part of my story and I have a huge platform and it's time to share it. We are struggling mm. and she had a picture of getting blood work and I just, I messaged her, I said, I just have to think, like she has a huge platform. I will never take that for granted when somebody has that much influence to speak the unspoken and to say, this is not this easy. Wow. It's not easy for everyone to have a ch- child and it's tripped up in so much of our identity and who we are that a lot of people stay silent. Yeah. But yeah. the world, it will never, compassion won't grow in that silence. Mm. Well, how do you, how much of a role do you feel like uh, gratitude plays into all oh. of this as well? Yeah. Somebody asked that we were doing a Q&A at this camp. Uh-huh. And they threw out this question. I was on this panel. And they threw out this question. How do you how do you overcome a bad day? And I was like, I've got a few thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> but I was trying to figure out how do I narrow this down to like one answer. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that came up in my mind was gratitude. 100%. Yeah. And I think oftentimes we find ourselves in, in grief spaces because we're focusing on the things that we don't have. Mm-hmm. But I feel like part of what the work that you do with rewriting your story, it has to come along with yeah. So how much of a role does gratitude play in all this? Yeah, I think a ton. And there's a couple pieces to it. This It needs to be a place of wholehearted gratitude. Mm. Not this comparison gratitude. I wow. think a okay. lot. Okay, unpack that a little uh-huh. bit because like, that's good. Because wow. a lot of people will say like, well, I have a roof over my head. I'm just grateful for it. Like, you know, yeah. the, the single mom in Zimbabwe has a tin roof. Yeah. Well, you know what? You not allowing yourself to be grateful for your blessings here does not actually build her a house. Hmm. We must have gratitude with perspective. Absolutely. I am blessed to have a home with four walls and a roof that doesn't leak. But it's this wholehearted perspective, not comparison. Right perspective. It's that it's a wholehearted gratitude part. So that's one thing. Like I think too many people just like, well, I'm just going to, I'm so grateful that I have a, oh, I have a car to God. get me to work. I'm yeah. blessed. I'm, I'm so blessed. You know? right. yeah. Like it's like, uh, hold on a second. Take a breath. Yeah. What are you grateful for? There's mm. a lot to be grateful for. So throughout the years of working with clients, I have come up with lots of different ways to practice gratitude. One of my favorite ways is the whole gratitude journal, obviously, but you write down three things that you're grateful yep. for um, every night. I have a couple of rules. Number one, they have to be different every single night. Okay. That is not to make you flip back to make sure you're not repeating. It's simply to help you go through your day mm. and one, wind down your brain for good sleep. Yeah. But two, what are you grateful for? Because there's a lot of moments in your day and then you'll actually find that the next day or the next week you'll be like, oh, that might make my gratitude journal tonight. <laughs> oh, no, that one's better. That one's going to make my gratitude journal tonight, right? That's great. But then some of the newer research is saying is showing that you take one of those things and you write 
three sentences about why you're grateful for it because your return is actually in the details. Mm. I might be grateful for my satin pillowcase that I love, <laughs> but why? Makes wow. my hair look good. Hopefully help with my wrinkled <laughs> face. Like, you know, like there's a lot of reasons to be grateful for it. So that that is one of the practices. One of the other things is I did this when I was really wrestling a couple of years ago. Um, three things you're grateful for about work. Three things you're grateful for about your personal life. And then three things you're grateful for, for yourself. Wow. And again, they have to be something different. That's great. That three for yourself is really brutal. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. But like that, it shifts your perspective. There's always something to be grateful for and not just from a place of comparison, just a place of like, I'm really grateful. Like this chair is holding my weight. Like I'm very grateful for this opportunity. I'm grateful that the sun is shining today. Mm. There's a lot to be grateful for and it just... It changes every, I mean, it does. It changes everything. Yeah. It helps us make the harder parts of our story work for us and not against us because Mm. then they become our big story. That's so good. Okay. So last question I'm curious about. Uh We touched on the fact that you kind of went through a lot of this journey before you met the Lord. Although you saw his common grace threads through the whole thing. Not till hindsight though. He was using Mm -hmm. some of this, probably all this to draw you to him. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how you met the Lord. Yeah. How did it, how did out of all so, of this you end up coming to meet Jesus? Well, my husband um, grew up um, in a very religious conservative home, right? And then I rocked all of their world. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and we we church shopped all over St. Louis for yeah. a very long time. Um, I tell the story and the complicated great. One of my favorites being that we we stumbled into an African American church not knowing it was <laughs> a black church, nice. and it was three hours. And I was very hungry, and <laughs> it was so funny. One of the women she hugged us before we left. She goes, "You are welcome back anytime, and we understand if this is not your church home." <laughs> I was like, and I told her, "I go, I will have to pack snacks next uh, time. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that this is how long your services last." But we we just we wrestled quite a bit, like because yeah. I I just. I didn't know who he was. I Mm. definitely did not know him as a loving father. And I had no clue who Jesus was. Mm. And I really struggled with, I I didn't grow up in scripture. I didn't understand the Trinity. I didn't understand what kind of father would bring his son to die and Mm. suffer. I didn't get that. And so I often, when I teach him, I always tell people, we will not introduce people to the resurrecting Jesus unless they know who the loving father is and that they are loved and favored and anointed. And so we, we settled on our church and it was fine. And then infertility starts and there's not much like being a mental health therapist who hears horrific things in her office every day Mm. who can't have babies to make you pretty mad at God. Mm. And so we left for a while. And after our journey ended, I um, I had a friend that was just like, just go, just go to the crossing. I think you just need to go. And it was, it'll be six years on Christmas Eve that we stumbled in. And we go to a big, tr- the crossing's a big church mm. in St. Louis. And um, I found the place I could ask the hard questions. Wow. And, and not just get the answer of, it's just Jesus, just believe. Wow. I needed the permission to be mad at God, to turn to him with it because he already knew it and he could handle it. But I needed to turn to him. And I oftentimes in this journey, like what, what happens when the person you feel like you have to forgive is God, Mm. because that's who I felt like I had to forgive. Like, and so what's that about? And it was really taking this time of like healing. And it's been, I mean, it's been lots of years, but it's been like one of the, I did a heart sink session Mm. and, um, the Gold Monarch in Abilene, Texas. Mm-hmm. And 
And we actually, I was like all ready to w- work on the infertility part. And she was like, oh no, Holy Spirit immediately was like, we're walking through the, the back surgeries. <sighs> and so she, um, she's like, what's, what's the biggest hurt? And I was like, no one's ever known what to do with me my entire life. Oh, wow. You're too much, not enough. The girl in the body cast, the woman who can't have kids, no one knows what to do with you. And she goes, all right, where was Jesus in that room? And I was able to kind of zero in like 11 years old at Mayo Clinic, mm. a misdiagnosis of you're crazy, nothing's wrong with you. And I, ha- and I, I made an agreement then. No one can help me. I am all by myself. Mm. And whoever this loving God is, I have no clue who you guys are talking about. And I asked him to show me where he was in that moment. Wow. And he was there. Mm. And instead of this message of you're too much, he was like, you're so too much. And I love it. Mm. Like, let, like, come over here and let's heal this. Let's do this yep. and like show the world who I am. And yep. so it was really doing this work of inviting him in That's right. to the pain and the suffering and the struggle to realize that that's when I could co-author the ending with him. Yeah. That he was there and that, yeah, it was okay to say the words out loud. Yeah. I had to forgive God. Not really, but yeah, I had to get over that part of it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I think that's so huge. We, we do a lot of work with forgiveness with our story and there's three types of forgiveness. There's forgiving others Mm -hmm. for an offense or, or a perceived offense. There is forgiving yourself. Yep. There's forgiving God. Yeah. Now, theologically, no, we don't sure. have to forgive God because he's sure. perfect in all his ways. But 100%, yeah. We have to, sometimes we feel like we have to. Well, yeah. And I love what you're saying right there that what that does is that is the invitation that Jesus put out for us where he says, hey, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Mm-hmm. If you just let me in, I'll sit in and I'll dine with you. Right. And you can lay all of your junk out of the table. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid of this. Mm-hmm. Let's just wrestle through this. And it's turning into Jesus. Right rather than turning away from Jesus mm-hmm. with your pain. Right. And I love the fact that you found a space in the church that you were attending yeah. that they welcomed that. Yeah. It's been, and it, it's been hard. I mean, it's also been able to have the courage to say like, hold on a second. What about women like me? Mm. Like I even told Chad the last two Mother's Days, families like us have been mentioned. And I mm. told Chad, I was like, if that's the only thing I accomplish in this world <laughs> <laughs> is that our big church mentions families like us on yeah. Mother's Day, that I will take that as a win. Yeah. But like, I had to like, cause oftentimes they, they were the biggest culprits of why don't you just adopt? Or mm. what do you mean you have to forgive God? And right. for me to have that courage to say, it's not that simple. And when you say things like that, it makes me want to run away mm. because one of the biggest pieces to the whole forgiveness part in the dare to lead curriculum, we talk about um, when you forgive, something has to die. Mm. So something new can grow. That's it. What had to die is that I had a God that I expected to give me what I wanted wow. and that it would turn out how I wanted. Wow. Mm. What had to die was my expectations. Yeah. Because I can trust his character. I can trust who he is. Wow. And that when I actually partner with him, it'll, I mean, it will honor my three. It will, it'll serve me in the yeah. world and it will glorify him. That's so good. Wow. So the, this child full life that you talk yeah. about is a lot of the work that you're doing in parenting other people in these spaces. Yeah. Can you tell us how we can find the work that you're doing? How can mm-hmm. the listeners tune in a little bit more? 
What kinds of work do you do yeah. to um, rewrite your story? Yeah. So I have a ton. You can go down a rabbit hole of content. <laughs> I have a ton of content on YouTube. Um, I do my very best to share uh, exclusive content on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn now. Um, and really, I'm, I'm working on the next book. I have four books on Amazon at this point. Wow. Um, that we have published. Um, and really, I, I'm very passionate about teaching the work of courageous resilience. And so mm-hmm. whether or not it's in a speaking engagement or a mini workshop or the full Dare to Lead 16-hour curriculum, I'm pretty easy to find um, justinefrolker.com. But like it is, I had a woman walk up to me after an in, um, after a speaking engagement and she said, I will wait in line to meet your three children because mm-hmm. I will thank them. Because you are mothering the world. And let's be honest, you wouldn't be doing it if they were here with you. Mm. And so you're a mother of mothers. You're the mother of second chances. And I was like, she goes, no one's ever said that. And I go, (laughs) no. And it's because that's because one of my big values is motherhood. And that didn't die when the dream died. Mm. And so it's, but it's my job to do the work to fight for and create and receive those opportunities. And so it really is for me teaching this what I call a resilient redemption because it does take a partnership. Mm, That's awesome. Well, Justine, you're definitely leaving a legacy. Thank you. And your work is going to continue to do that. And we're honored to have you you. in this conversation. And and I hope we get to have more conversations. Thank you. So so thanks for for driving over and, and joining us. Thank you. Davey, that was such a great interview. Woo, man, I'm so glad we did that. Even in the, as, as weird as it was to pull some microphones out in the middle of our, literally, it was like a hotel room. <laughs> it was like, here, sit on, okay, Christy, Justine, you guys sit on that bed. I'll sit on this bed. It was just so, it was, but it was such a great interview. Oh, yeah, it really was. Um, I really appreciated what she said, that she is more than a mother, that she's more than just a baby making woman (laughs) and, and just even providing questions to ask, like, what do you like to do for fun? Or what are some of your hobbies or, you know, that there's, there's, who are you as a person? Mm. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Well, um, I am hoping that our team is going to be able to benefit from some of her dare to lead training here at some point in the near future. Uh, but you can definitely go to the podcast page, Check out everything that Justine has to offer, the message that she's getting out there, the things that she's talking about, the training that she does, um, and at justinefralker.com, justinefralker.com. Again, go to the podcast page if you're struggling with any of the spelling of that, but we'll have all that up. And while you're out there, go ahead and download and stream all of Sleeping at Last's music. Thank you, Ryan, for providing that music. He provides all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. And Mel, you got to listen to next week's we're starting to get up on Christmas season now. Thanksgiving is over. The most joyful time of the year. I hope you know that I, we've already put up our Christmas tree and we started listening to Christmas music back like November 1st. So, And, just and I, I'm here for it. FYI. I stand by that. That's the way to do it. <laughs> well, as we enter into Christmas season, go ahead and take a listen to just this little excerpt from next week's conversation. I'm from Chicago. Uh, I was born in Chicago housing project called Argyle Gardens on the south side of Chicago. Okay. And I was raised by my grandma. Uh, My grandmother raised nine children as a single mom on welfare. 
And uh, she struggled and did the best she could. And when I was 10 months old, my mother was murdered um, mm-hmm. at the age of 17. And so my mom had my brother at 14. She had me at 16 and she was murdered at 17. Wow. And my uncle was in the gang. He was murdered at 17. Uh, my aunt was murdered at 28 by her boyfriend. And I had another aunt that died from a brain tumor from asbestos in the projects. Wow. So my grandma raised nine kids. Four of her kids died and she raised nine grandbabies. Oh my gosh. And so I've never met my dad, don't know who he is to this day. And so I grew up with a huge question mark on top of my head of who am I Mm. and why am I here? 